so I think if you could name Easter another name, I think you would call today the day of second chances. I don't know about you, but I, I need often another chance at something. I mean, the first time around, I blew it. The first time, I didn't get it right. I mean, when I tried to play golf, I was so bad, I lived on mulligans. And you know how you can go to a golf, you guys are ladies that play golf. You know how you go to a, a, a golf tournament and you actually buy mulligans? I mean, I would spend more money buying mulligans than I would paying to get in the tournament. And so I, it's just, I need a second chance all the time, it feels like. And for me, Easter is the second chance day. I mean, the, the story really is that on Easter, there, there's a reason why we celebrate all this. There's a reason why we go to churches. There's a reason why there's thousands of people on campus around today. Why is that? Because I truly believe the story of Easter is the story of a second chance. Now, I, I have a unique view on this in that I know what it's like to fail. Uh, I, got, I got invited to speak to a group of missionaries and come back from being overseas for an entire year. And when I said, was well, there anything particular you want me to talk about? And they said, yeah, your topic is failure. <laughs> oh, so I'm a subject matter expert now in failure. So I said, yeah. They said, well, they said, well, Dr. Allen, we'd love to have you on our program. And I thought, I'm not even a nurse, but <laughs> you want to lay it on, bring it, baby. You know, and so I said, well, you know what, let's do this. I have a PhD in failure. I have messed up so many things in my life. And if you're like me, it's like it's so easy humanly to just totally mess stuff up. And, and, and it's part of the story of the Bible. It messed up people kind of find their way where God is calling them back to the way. And, and we, we, we reconciliate, we kind of get things going. And then over the course of time, then, you know, I grumble and I complain and then I kind of fall away from my walk with Christ. And the next thing you know, I'm like all full blown away from God. And then we come back. It's the same story starting in creation with Adam and Eve, going through the old story and the story of the people of Israel into the New Testament where we had Roman occupation. It just keeps going. And here today, it's very similar. So when you take a look at the Easter story, I think most of us truly need at least another choice. We need another opportunity. We need another chance. And so when I think about chances, I always think, well, you know, Peter was one of the key guys in Jesus' work, and he, he surely would play a part in the second chance, wouldn't he? And I thought, yeah, he absolutely does. So if you go back to last week where we were talking about Palm Sunday, we recognize that Jesus is riding in on that little colt. It's, it's like a young donkey. And so the disciples, Jesus said to them, go to Jerusalem and find the donkey I'm going to use it. If anybody asks you a question, tell them the Lord needs it. And so we don't know that anybody asks, but they brought the donkey. And at, the, at that point, they started taking off their coats and laying it on the donkey. And then Jesus got on top of the coats that are on the donkey. And then he rode into the city of Jerusalem. And as he rode into the city of Jerusalem, people were laying down their coats and laying down palm fronds. And you say, well, why would they be doing that? Well, it's the same spirit behind doing that as it was when you, you go to somebody's house for dinner. You go to somebody's house for lunch in that day, and you would have a servant that would wash your feet. And you say, well, that's a little weird and a tad gross, but okay. But, you know, it's not like us. We don't have, they weren't wearing socks, you know, and, and, and shoes. They, they were having these little strips of leather. And as you walk across the, 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 the Middle East, one of the things you find is that there's plenty of sand. There's plenty of rocks. There's plenty of dust. 
And so as you'd walk all day before dinner, you would have plenty of problem with your feet, and a servant would wash your feet. The same context of washing somebody's feet is the same context and taking their coat off for you to ride into town. But why would you do that? Because they're there to serve. Who were they serving? Jesus. A week ago on Palm Sunday, he rode into town to Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And people were literally waving palm fronds and literally saying, this is the Lord that has come. He's going to deliver us. On the other side of town at the same time, Pilate and the Roman soldiers were walking into Jerusalem. You could hear the thunder of their steps as they marched to the cadence of the drum. And they had the horses that were, that were mighty, and it was a steed. It was the exact opposite of Jesus riding in on that colt. He rode in, and all of the soldiers had their, their breastplates and their swords and their spears and their helmets with the red poofy thing you see on the movie. They were walking into town, and both people were coming into a parade. This group was coming in as a war machine to keep any insurrection down. And this group was coming in to bring life and to bring peace. But there was a problem there. How do you go from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him all in just a few days? Because Jesus rode in to Jerusalem and, and the religious leaders of the day, what they wanted him to do was to be a conquering king. They wanted him to come in and go to war with Rome, push the oppressors that they had for over 80 years out. and He would sit on a big throne and he would rule over the people. But the problem is that's not why he came. Jesus didn't come to take war to the Romans. Jesus came to give eternal life to sinners. He came for me and you. You say, well, Chuck, are you calling me a sinner? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take a poll, but what if I were to say, okay, how many of you had a perfect week this week? I mean, you did everything right. You thought everything right. You treated everybody right. You made all the right decisions. I wouldn't see many hands, I don't think. But the minute you raised your hand, I mean, you'd be guilty of being a liar. So when you look at what was going on, you had this, you had this crazy binary attachment in the side of the, the powder keg known as Jerusalem, where over here you got religion and law, and they're scared to death of Jesus' liberty and peace. And over here, you've got the people who are the occupiers, and they've got the army, and they're ready to squelch anything that gets in the way. And so as the story goes on in the Easter story, the challenge becomes all of a sudden that, wait a minute, who is this Jesus? Because on Monday after Palm Sunday, he walked into the temple. And he knew that for, for generation after generation that you would bring a sacrifice for the sacrifice of your sins. And so oftentimes if you were like in the middle class or lower, then you would buy like a pigeon or a dove. You might even buy a sheep. And you would take that and that, the blood from that animal would be for the forgiveness of your sin. Does that not sound weird or is it just me? But that's exactly what they did. The problem was there was a, there was a totally rip-off system going on inside of the temple where they were literally money-changing for bad things, putting it in their pocket and not using, overcharging people that couldn't pay. Can you imagine having to pay for your sacrifice? Can you imagine having to pull your wallet out and write a check for your sacrifice? Can you imagine trying to Apple Pay for your sacrifice? And as they come by, they would look at somebody and try to determine, they've probably got about that kind of money, so we're going to get that. And Jesus saw all this going on. And you got to remember, Jesus came to fulfill that law. 
with something that was lighter and better, a better way. He didn't, have to, he didn't come because he was going to make one side or the other side better. He wasn't going to come to make religion better. He wasn't going to come to take, go along to get along with the oppressor better. Jesus came with a better way. And in the midst of coming in that better way, he saw, wait a minute, my father's house is turning into a den of thieves. And he saw those tables and he upturned them and he sent them everywhere. And he said, you can't do that in my father's house. When you talk about ticking off some religious people, man. I mean, don't y'all know, I mean, don't y'all know like religious kind of people? Don't you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're the kind that you got to dress the right way before you walk in the door. You got to comb your hair the right way before you can sing in the choir. You got to, I, I grew up in a church and just beat the crud out of me every Sunday. I mean, I'm, I'm still dealing with it. I'm, I'm a recovering Baptist. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chuck. Thank you for that. Another Satan person in the house. But seriously, Jesus didn't come for all that junk. He didn't come for a denomination. He didn't come to build religion up. He didn't come for 600 plus rules that religion existed for. And he didn't come to come along to get along just to ensure that you stay oppressed. Those, those were the two ways in Jerusalem today. You can see what a powder keg it was. That this group's coming in and we're going to conquer this group. And this group is saying, no, you're not. God is coming on our side and he's going to conquer you. And Jesus says, not this way, not that way, but my way. And the whole world thought, well, that can't be good. Because Rome over here is like, we don't want any trouble this week. We're going to let you do your little Passover celebration. But guess what? You're going to keep it quiet. You're not going to get excited, and you're going to, you, you just know when you get out of line, you're going to die. So go along to get along. But over here, the religious folks, they're scared to death. Jesus has come along and said, wait a minute, you don't have to go through that priest to talk to God. You don't have to bring the sacrificial blood of an animal to get right with God. I have come that you might have life. Jesus said to them, but wait a minute, I can forgive your sins. I will be the final, final, final sacrifice i will be the spotless lamb of god so you can imagine over the next few days these the, the religious deal i mean the guys that were big cogs in the synagogues man they were like they were like big shot religious people they're scared to death they, but they're they're afraid that this way with jesus really is a better way and they're thinking, wait a minute, these 623 rules that we exist to catch you doing, and by the way, we get paid pretty stinking well to do it, that's in jeopardy here. Because Jesus is saying you don't need all this stuff. I mean, he was bold enough to say, you, you only have to do two things. When he was asked, what's the most important commandment? What is the thing that matters most? Jesus didn't have to scratch his beard and say, well, let me think about it. Jesus said, oh, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love others as you love yourself. And don't you know they sat there thinking, and? And, and? and what else? And Jesus said, no, no, no. That's it. And then he said, you know what you can do? You can, you can call on the name of the Lord. You can call on my name, and you can ask me for the forgiveness of your sin. Because from now on, you don't have to have an animal. I'm going to shed my blood so you can have forgiveness of every sin you've ever had, every sin you presently have, and every sin you're about to have. And I'm going to die for you. And these religious people, man, they're, wait a minute, that doesn't fit inside my rule book. Because they were kind of like cosmic FBI guys that would thunk you on the head when you did something wrong. 
Anybody ever been to a church like that? Anybody ever been where it was just like you walked in the door and you kind of got that stink eye look? Peter knew what it was like. So Jesus, by Thursday, meets with his disciples in this upper room. And he's saying to his disciples, I'm about to go away. And I've been telling you guys this. And you know where I'm going. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, uh, no, I don't know. We really don't know. And he said, okay, let me go through it one more time. What's about to happen to me is, Peter, you're about to deny me three times. People are going to say to you, you're one of, you're one of my boys, and you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, uh-uh, no. I'm mad his chest got out. I'll never do that. I love you, Jesus. I would never do that. I mean, he was kind of a macho, ready, fire aim kind of dude, you know? So Jesus, on that Thursday, has the Lord's Supper. By the time we get into the evening, outside in Caiaphas' little courtyard, which, by the way, is about the size of this one block of chairs right here. That's about how large that courtyard is. You can still go there today. You can walk into the dungeon of Caiaphas' home, and there's about a 10 or 12-foot circular room that was where Jesus spent his last night on earth inside that dark, damp room, chained and shackled. Now watch this. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to do this. And Peter was, no, I won't. I would never deny you. And so then Jesus is arrested, and he's beaten, and he's cursed, and he's spat upon, and he's taking on all of this mess. And he did it all for me and you. He took all of that. And then standing before the entire crowd, somebody sees Peter. Hey, you're one of that guy. You hung out with that rabbi from Nazareth, didn't you? No, I did not do that. It wasn't me. A few minutes later, hey, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? I saw you with him. I've seen you eat with him. And he said, no, you didn't. I don't know him. And then a third person comes along and that third person looks at him and says i think your name is peter and you are the one that jesus chose i heard stories about you i heard that you could get out of a boat and you could walk on water i heard about you and he said no you didn't i'm not a part of it you know what jesus said peter you're going to deny me three times and what did he do three times he denied him jesus said at the end of your denial you're going to hear the rooster crow. And I can imagine Peter thinking, Jesus, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. No, I'm not one of him. No, I'm not one of him. No, I'm not one of him. This is how we know that Jesus is not a South Carolina fan. Just want to share that with you. Did y'all know we once raised chickens? My, my wife thought we should have chickens. Single dumbest thing we've ever done in our life. Because within hours, we weren't doing chickens. So Samantha went and got our chickens. Brought the chickens home. And the guy she got chicken from said, yeah, they're all hens. Liar. <laughs> at, a, at, a, at about five months, Jenny said, I think we have a rooster. Before long, we realized all but one of the seven are roosters. 
It's the most annoying sound on the planet. Do you know how hard it is for a man my size to chase down a rooster? <laughs> I got the shotgun out, and Jenny was like, you can't use a gun in the city. Watch me. <laughs> so I just wanted to set that out so you know I hate roosters. Can you imagine? By the way, they all, this is the story for all children, really. It doesn't matter what animal you're talking about. They've gone to the farm. If we ever find the farm, there's a lot of dead animals there. Anyway, so that didn't really have a whole lot to do with this sermon. But what we do know is that what Jesus said would happen, happened. And then he dies on that old wooden cross and his blood is shed. And, and everything has changed. The whole world, time has stopped and restarted. And Jesus then is laid in that borrowed tomb. And three days later, just like the movie would say, the stone started rolling away. And the light started shining out. And Jesus, the Son of God, walks out of that tomb, and he walks out fully God. And he walks out full of life. And some 400-plus people interact with Jesus over the 40 days. And we know this historically and biblically. And one of the stories goes back to a conversation with Peter. And I look and I think to myself about that conversation, and I find it over in John chapter 21. In verse 4, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They're out in the boat. They're fishing. Which, by the way, again, it sounds just like us. We, we go back to what we think has worked. Life hadn't worked out exactly like it worked. Peter's still rotten, eaten up with guilt that he's denied Jesus, just like he said he would. And he just, i got to go back to work. And so he's on the boat, and it goes on, and it says... That Jesus said to them, do, do you have any fish? Now, if you've ever gone fishing, there's always some dude that rolls up beside you and says, hey, did you leave any for me? I mean, that's like the person who finishes a dinner and they eat their plate and they say to their server, huh, I didn't like that very much. It's not like they, that's original, you know. And the server's just like, okay, you're stupid, you know. So the guy rolls up in his boat, you know, and he says, hey, do you catch any fish? No, but they were biting, man. We missed a few. That's good. And the dude reaches down and he pulls out like an eight and a half pound largemouth bass. He says, well, I, I caught some. Jesus says to him, you haven't caught anything? Nope. Not a thing. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. Now, had I been Peter and those guys, I still don't know who's talking to me. I'm not really sure about that, but they do. And look what happens. It says that they threw the nets on the right side of the boat. And they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, now watch this, this is John saying to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he, he'd gotten down to his skivvies to work in. He'd just gone back to, to his workaday life. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. You see, Peter had already jumped in the water. He's already headed to the shore. He wants to get in on whatever God is doing. The rest of them are pulling the fish in. And in verse 9, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus, who is there, Jesus says to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. They were clearly over their limit. I went fishing with Randall Patterson over there a few years ago. 
and caught an 18 and a half pound striped bass out of Lake Lanier. It was a glorious thing. Randall took a picture with me and the fish. I sent it to Jenny with a note that said, I just caught an 18 and a half pound striper. Problem is, that stupid autocorrect on my iPhone <laughs> sent it and it said, I just caught an 18 and a half pound stripper. <laughs> Listen, when you're a pastor, you don't need that in your text string. You know what I'm saying? But being Jenny, she replied, well, I guess I got nothing to worry about. <laughs> I got you, babe. Again, nothing to do with the sermon. But so Jesus said to them, bring the fish you caught. They bring the 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come on, let's have breakfast. You've got to love a God who says, come on, let's eat together. Come on, let's hang out. We're going to sit down. We're going to chat a little bit. We're going to have some fish and we're going to have some bread. It's going to be good, man. Probably had some hummus. And and it says, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him a second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, why are you asking me these questions? Yes, I love you. You know I love you. Three times, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, denial. Three times, restoration. Jesus looked at Peter and he said three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I don't believe there's any coincidence that three times he was denied and three times he was affirmed. I look at that and I think to myself, the great thing about the second chance Easter is is it for you. It's not a blanket that's thrown on the world, it's for you. Easter, the time of second chance, the gospel of the second chance is for you. And you say, well, Chuck, I've messed up a whole lot more than three times. He knows. If Jesus had to come to me and say, Chuck, do you love me? Chuck, do you love me? For every time I've sinned, we would never do anything. But I, I, I would just, I just still, after 58 years, be saying, I do, I do, I do. Wouldn't you? But what if Jesus, the Lord, what if he's walking up and down these aisles? What if he's tapping you on the shoulder and leaning down and saying, hey, I I know where you were last night. I know what you did last week. I know what you did last month. I know all the stupid you've done, but you know I love you, right? You know that there's nothing you can do to make me not love you, right? You, You know that when I died on that cross and I was buried and I rose from the grave, you know I did that for you, right? You know that Easter is your second chance it's your 12th chance it's your 100th chance easter is for you i mean he can't jesus is himself is in this place right now saying to you like he did with peter do you love me i mean seriously do you love me no really do you love me you see peter was using a word for love that was like brotherly love like yeah man we're bffs jesus was using a different word for love Jesus was using a word that means unconditional love. 
when Jesus is saying that, what Jesus is saying to him and what Jesus is saying to you is this one thing. I'm giving you my unconditional love. It's not merited. You didn't do anything to earn it. You don't deserve it. We get all that, but I'm giving you my unconditional love. Now the question is, what are you going to do with that? Is it possible today that Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? Is it possible today that Jesus has sat down and had breakfast with you and then put his arm around you like I think he did with Peter? Because see, I don't think Jesus looked across that courtyard with the condemning look. When he could see Peter saying, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. I don't think Jesus looked over there with a scowl. I think Jesus looked over and said, boy, it's a good thing I love him. It's such a good thing I love him. Because back on that shore, Jesus asked the question that he indeed knew the answer to. I bet Peter hated the sound of roosters for the rest of his life. But I guarantee you he remembered three questions far more than that. Because Jesus had affirmed him and saying, do you love me? Because I'm giving you an unconditional love. Do you love me? What are you going to do with that today? Well, we're going to leave. We're going to go to grandma's. We're going to go to mom's. We're going to go to pop's. We're going to... But I mean, like right now, in this moment, in this second, as Jesus says to you, do you love me? What's your answer? Let's pray. God, I believe with all my heart, Easter is a second chance. I believe Easter Jesus is when you said on that cross it's finished that the cross had the final word and the resurrection was a cherry on top of the Sunday God I'm grateful that you you fulfilled every law in one statement so God might we love you with all our heart our mind and our soul might we commit ourselves to love other people as we love ourselves And as Jesus taps us on the shoulder today, might we say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. So today, maybe you have an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And you say, I I, I want to do like the Bible says. I want to call on the name of the Lord. I want to settle this forever. I want Jesus to know indeed I am here and I love you and I'm making a choice for you. So maybe just quietly and even silently in your own heart, you might join me in this prayer. Jesus, I am sorry I've made a lot of bad choices. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and make me new? Jesus, when when you ask me, do I love you? I love you. So Jesus, I want to turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. And I'm so grateful you've died to take my place, to take my punishment. It was my sin that put you on that cross. But Jesus, I am so glad you rose from that grave. I'm so glad you've gone to heaven to create a place for all who would believe. And knowing there's no condemnation, that all of us are called to the cross, all of us celebrate the risen King, and all we have to do is claim this in the name of Jesus, and heaven is as real as if we were already there quietly and softly if if today that's your desire if that's your prayer just lift up your hand nobody's going to walk an aisle nobody's going to point you out yes yeah 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 
for every person that said yes, every person that for whatever reason couldn't raise a hand, God, would, would you just step into our heart and hear us say, yes, Jesus, we love you. We are with you. We are for you. God, bless these families richly this week. Pour out grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's worship as we wrap up today.